Welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. I'm Scott Ramage, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Justin Estes. Justin has been married to Brittany, his bride, for two plus years. He has a nine-month-old boy, and he is a full-time coach at 3Q Fitness in Garland. He runs the youth training programs there, as well as does the sales. Justin also serves on the Downtown Garland Business Association Board, and in his free time, he loves to cook. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to have kind of a local come on the show with me. You're only, you know, 30 minutes away from where I live, which is really exciting. Um, so I uh, I met you through my work and you you work at a gym. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I, I've been coaching um, CrossFit and doing performance training and then working with um, young athletes through our youth empowerment program for almost four years full time now. Um, and, and it's awesome. I mean, I just kind of have a passion for helping people. Um, my kind of story about getting to the gym space was I had always worked with kids in some capacity through the boys and girls clubs, um, YMCA programs, um, lifetime fitness. I ran the aquatics program in Garland and in Plano. And then with Dallas parks and rec, I did youth sports, um, the summer programs, after school programs, coordinated all of those for the Southeast Dallas uh, service area. And then that entire time, um, I had trained here at 3T Fitness with Robert and coached with Robert part-time. He was actually my coach when I played football and baseball in college. Oh, awesome. um, he was my performance coach. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I got to know Robert. And, and I just always kind of felt like God was leading me more towards this space. And I was able to help Robert kind of grow some programs and do some, do some things to make enough room and the revenue to bring me on full time. And really the rest has just been history after that. It's almost like um, you pray about where God needs you. And it's that kind of internal struggle. It's, it's battling, it's battling, it's battling. And then like that first day being where he has you like supposed to be, everything just kind of seems to click. And, and that's been my reality for almost four years now. So wow. it's been awesome. Yeah, that's really great. So um, tell me a little bit about the youth empowerment program. I think that's what you called it at your gym because yes. I, I had never heard of anything like this until I met you. Yeah, it's, it's a really unique program. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend like I'm reinventing the wheel with anything here. It's actually a program that um, I'm an affiliate gym here in Garland. I don't think there's any other gym in Texas that has an affiliation. I know there's not any other gym in North Texas, but Anthony Graff and Tim Thackeray, who Tim Thackeray is the mastermind behind, if you're in the CrossFit space, you might know of the Juice Athlete Compound. And um, Anthony Graff has um, Believe Martial Arts and Threshold Kids and uh, CrossFit Threshold in Miami. And these guys were both... Um, USA Olympic uh, Taekwondo team members. They're resident athletes in Colorado Springs. Tim's dad is a childhood psychologist, I believe. I could be getting that wrong. But through their background in martial arts and all this stuff, they, they sort of saw a gap when they both opened their CrossFit gyms that everyone just wanted to do kids CrossFit. And everyone just said, we'll just take the adult workout and we'll scale it down. And there's just so much more that goes into being a kid and developing a positive relationship with fitness. And so they just created this whole system where it's level-based, almost like uh, martial arts. We have white, blue, black, and camo shirts that everybody wears. Every shirt has about 30 skills that you have to master. And uh, we can track those skills real time. We fill it out on your shirt as you get it. And then every day has, has a, about a 15-minute power chat where we talk about a character development piece. And it's, it kind of sounds like a program that would only be really helpful for younger athletes. But my, my big 
selling point, I guess, or my big um, community base with the younger kids are teenagers. So I have a, a bunch of middle school and freshmen and high school athletes that train in this program. And it's just done wonders for their confident, you know, their relationship with exercise, their relationship with food. And, and the purpose athletically of the program is we always ask parents, how tall is the pyramid? So Scott, I'll ask you, how tall is the pyramid? As tall as I can build it? <laughs> As tall as you can be. You know, what's funny is like, that's, that's usually the answer that people give, but the pyramid is only as tall as its base is wide. That's right. And yeah, so this program, that is the whole purpose is your base is it's not only your self-belief, your, your mental um, relation, like your relationship with food and fitness, but it's also your functional base of movement. And that's the entire program. So our kids aren't doing thrusters and they're not doing toast to bar. They're doing planks and squat holds till their ears bleed and they love it. Like that's the thing that's crazy. So I just went on a huge tangent about youth empowerment. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's what I asked. I, I have a passion for training youth. It's probably one of the most fun things that I can do in the fitness world. And um, they will, they'll hold a squat for as long as like they make a game out of everything if you approach it correctly. And it sounds like a really cool program. So is coaching in your blood have you, have you always wanted to be a coach? Did you train to be a coach? Yes, yes to all of that. Um, my, my dad played multiple sports in college, and then um, he wanted to go to law school, moved back to Garland, um, got married right at the end of college, and um, they moved back to Garland, and he started coaching here at Garland High School. And to him, it was going to be a temporary thing, but he started to really, really feel like he was being called to work with kids. And then, so my dad's been in coaching for, I'm 30. So he's been in coaching for 31 years. And then, um, my, most of my family has been in education in some, some aspect. Um, everyone in my family, except for my mom was an athlete growing up, but yeah, I, I grew up on the football field. I grew up Monday through honestly Sunday going to the practice field at some point and just being around the team and being around the guys. And I just have always gravitated towards that. So that was my goal in college was to become a high school football coach. And, and fortunately, I, I, was, I found my own way to kind of make my own mark in coaching, I guess. Yeah. So what, what really, I mean, you talked earlier about how it's kind of you know, God's plan was to get you into this and, and you weren't really expecting it. How did, how did you land in individual coaching or youth coaching through a gym as opposed to, you know, school program? So one of the things that's always been kind of interesting to me has been why athletes get to a certain point and never really realize their potential. And so if I look at my athletic journey, I probably had much more potential in baseball than I did football. And then I ended up, I ended up making it my college choice solely on football and played baseball um, sparingly in college, but I was able to get scholarships for both. And the thing that always held me back, I thought was always, you know, well, God just blessed other people more than he blessed me. And I just have to work harder. And that's not, not necessarily true. I always had injuries. I had a knee surgery in high school that derailed me from four months of preparing for my senior season. Um, I always had a shoulder issue with baseball. I, I could never squat without pain. Anytime we did long distance sprints or anything like that, my knee would always lock up, especially after I had the surgery. And it was just pain after pain after pain. And I got really, really frustrated. And then I met this guy, Robert Selders Jr., who that's my boss. He owns 3Q Fitness. And um, my grandmother was actually training with him is the funny part. Uh, my grandmother was doing like a boot camp thing that he had put on through the school district. And she's like, 
need to come work with this guy. I'd come off an MCL tear my freshman year of college and I was just really bummed out and I really wanted to find some way to get my edge back. And I come in and work out with Robert and in my assessment, I threw up. I wanted to cry because I was so frustrated that I couldn't, um, I couldn't squat the way he wanted me to squat. And, and a 15 minute assessment took about an hour and a half. And we just came up with a plan to really get me to move the way that I should move. And then I went back uh, to school and it was just, I mean, it was almost game over. I was just on a completely different level than I had ever been just because I could move better. So that experience right there changed everything for me. I thought, well, I don't want to be the high school coach teaching a kid how to run a play and do that stuff. I want to be the guy that is behind the scenes taking the kid that could be at a better school or could be moving better or whatever. And I want to get him to reach his potential. And then there's so many kids that just don't believe in themselves. And and a lot of times that was me. So that, that for me was like the big, the big thing choosing a path like this was just seeing the impact that it made in me, but it was so late in the game. You know, it was almost like my, my career had already been written. And if I would have done the things that I did at 21 and 22, if I would have done those, you know, at 14, who knows what could have been, but I'm very fortunate that I had the experience that I had because I am where I am now. Yeah. I love the, the stories where we think we're going down one path and someone steps into our lives and shows us that, that you have a, a bigger purpose or a different purpose. So it's interesting because you were, you're, raised by a coach and your dad, uh, your dad was a coach, I should say, you're raised by your parents, but your dad um, wasn't the one that released the potential in you. So yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about your relationship with your dad. Was it a good relationship and how was it? Was he actually your coach in high school? My, no. Well, yes and no. So my, my dad coached me when I was in like little league um, begrudgingly. And not like he didn't want to have that relationship with me, um, but it was because my dad playing sports all the way up through college was able to identify some things that were just wrong. And and if you're around, I mean, you, you and I are around fitness coaches and stuff, and it's almost like, you know, we walk into another gym and we see, you know, we see a guy who's not a coach, not a trainer, does not have any sort of education or movement telling people how to do certain things. And it's just it's, it's cringy, you know, and it's, it's not any fault on that person because they're trying their best, but it's almost like, oh, I got to get in there. So my dad had that experience. And then um, when I got to a certain level, he had to be hands off because we would get to a point where my relationship with him was great up until game day. And we would both be so upset if I struck out or so upset if I hit a ground ball to the second baseman and that was the last out of the game or something. And, and you know, it's funny, like baseball, I, I have to tell my, I have a brother that's 10 years younger and I've had to tell him throughout his playing career, you are trying to be excellent at a sport where when, when Josh Hamilton won the MVP in what was that 2010, when he won his MVP, his batting average was what, 338 or 340. So you're telling me that a guy that 33% of the time succeeded that was excellent at the best of the best level so give yourself some some credit here you know 70 percent of the time you are not going to get on base and so you take that 70 percent of the time and you apply it to my relationship with my dad so 70 percent of the time our our emotions were down in the dumps based off of really just like the the math of baseball you know you're not going to bat a thousand and and we got to a point where he and i both kind of realized that that was not the best solutions. So then when I started playing club baseball, you know, those guys don't just let dads volunteer to coach. So I was fortunate enough to where then he became a fan and then it was amazing. And then it was just this 
support and he would still get emotionally tied to the game, but because he wasn't there and because it wasn't like the eyes on him, the team winning because coach Estes was doing this and his son was doing this. It really was, you know, I can remember the very first time that I struck out and he wasn't angry. It kind of blew me away. I was like in sixth grade, seventh grade. And I was just like, I struck out though. And he was like, yeah, but man, that curveball, like you hung in there and you know, and it was good at bat. And he's like, and I was just like, oh my gosh. So then in high school, middle school, high school, high school, I did not choose to play for him. In high school, I played at Garland High um, for one of his best friends that, you know, that I had known since I was a child. And, and then my senior year, we realized that we were missing an opportunity. So my senior year, I went and played for him um, at Woodrow. And that was an experience that, that I, I wouldn't trade for the world. That was, that was incredible. So I love that. I love that you, you know, you guys kind of saw the bad side. You both kind of realized it and then turned it around, kind of made the adjustments, turned around, enjoyed it, and then um, kind of circled back a few times. And it makes me really kind of want to dig in a little bit on this because it doesn't sound really like your dad did this, but a lot of dads have an extreme amount of pressure on their child for performing in a certain sport. You know, there's a lot of psychology goes into this. Are they living through them or, or what is going on? Have you seen a lot of that as a, as a coach of youth? And also, you know, speak to us from your experiences, your observations as a coach and also as a coach's son. Yeah. So, it, and it kind of goes, you know, I, I've had the experience of coordinating big leagues for, you know, soccer, youth baseball and stuff through the city of Dallas and then through the YMCA um, where we've had, like the YMCA, we had 1,300 kids in our soccer league. And you kind of get an idea of what kind of dad you want to be when you're approaching that situation. And I, and I know that sounds terrible, but you get to see so so many guys out there that are doing it on opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think there's a healthy balance. I think, I think there is a, there's the guy that really wants the best for their kid, but also remembers that they're a kid and it's a game. And so I, I think that we're called to do everything to the best of our ability. And one of the things that my dad was really, really good at at a young age was, you know, one kind of quoting scripture and I, and I wish I had it in front of me, but just, you know, that the gifts that God has given us, it, it is considered righteous to honor those gifts and do them to the best of your ability and work hard. And so he's like, if, if you are blessed to be a musician or an artist or a baseball player or, you know, whatever it may be, you need to work hard at that thing. And then where he and I started to have our disconnect was when the line for him started to get blurred on, he started to really enjoy my success. And, and, and that just becomes something that you, you inadvertently put so much pressure on, on the kid. And, and when I started to hit home runs as a kid, it started to be a thing where I was doing it almost every practice and almost every session. But then I, I could look at my dad when he was coaching me and see, he knows I can hit a home run right now and put the team on my back and, and win the game. And then it just became so much like mental, just like crumbling. And, and it's just, it's just a very interesting concept. And then when we were able to withdraw from that, then I, I stopped feeling like he was putting the pressure on me to perform and that my kind of like self-worth became performance. Because I see it all the time with, like we train about a dozen collegiate volleyball athletes and then we have a professional volleyball athlete and she's third all time at NCAA for um, like for kills or points scored. And you could kind of like you see the opposite, like the kids that are super successful, those really aren't the kids that their parents are yelling from the stands every time they have a misstep. Those are the, those are the parents that are 
just constantly supportive, but they're not blowing smoke. You know, it's like, you didn't have a great game, but I know you tried. What can we do to get better? And then when you do have a great game, it's, hey, let's remember that, you know, you had to work really hard to get to this point. Let's celebrate this win, but let's not make it mean anything that it shouldn't be because you are so much more than a baseball player or a volleyball athlete or a football player. So I'm really into this whole identity thing, finding your own identity. And it sounds basically what you're saying to me is the parents that see their child as a person and not an athlete, where their identity lies outside of their athletic abilities is kind of the key difference you see. Uh, Yo, absolutely. And, and, you know, I can tell you, you know, 30, I, I sometimes feel 50 and I sometimes feel 18. And I can I can 1000% identify with if you're a dad listening to this and this is you, I can 1000% identify with the guy that was the, the JV third baseman or the backup center on his high school team. And, you know, a guy that went to go play at, let's say, Ohio State or Texas or SMU or whatever it is, a big school in your area that that has a lot of notoriety. And he's not doing a lot of things different than what you're doing. It just seems like he got different opportunities. And then you get removed from that situation 10, you know, 5, 10, 12 years, and you start to think, that could have been me very easily. And, and you know, for me, honestly, at, at 23, I flirted with the idea of using my last year of eligibility with the NCAA to try and walk on to a big program because I, I was I was getting stronger than I'd ever been. I've been training, I've been doing all these things. And I'm like, you know, to heck with it. Like, I'm not going to be the guy that said, what if? And then I also thought, well, well, maybe I'll try and get some sort of like, you know, farm league or minor league tryout. And, and, and those are the things when I had at that point, that became my identity. I was at the end of any possibility of playing competitive, organized sport and and, and it, it was just, it was ending for me. And so I'm like, what am I going to do now? And now that I have a son, my first thought when I heard it's a boy, I was like, whoa, what if I'm sitting in the stands at DKR in Austin and my kid is catching a touchdown pass or my kid is the kid that comes off the edge and sacked the quarterback, you know, at the Red River rivalry. And here we are, I'm in the Cotton Bowl. And it's like, that's my son. I'm like, see, that could be me. And I'm like, that's gross because what if my kid doesn't want to play sports? And that's the question that I don't think a lot of parents ask is what do they really want to do? Yeah, I love that you identified that so early because we all have that inherent desire for our kids to excel in a place where we felt we should have or we could have. It's a case of the could have, would have, should have. And then we project that. And if we don't identify it, I think it's extremely dangerous. And um, it's dangerous because now we're sending a message to our kids that this is your identity instead of letting them find it. And um, hey, as parents, we definitely need to work on forming our child's identity, but not in what they do, but in who they are. That's my belief, at least. Um, so your son is nine months old. So you, you mm-hmm. haven't been a father for very long. Do you find that your mind goes back to that once in a while? Is it something that kind of creeps in once in a while? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's almost a daily thing, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I... When, when we did our, you know, gender reveals are a big thing, right? And so when we did our gender reveal and we found out he was a boy, we did it at my parents' house. And my dad ran to the garage, found my brother's old glove, and he runs up to the blue balloon and he's like, yes. And he like puts the glove on the balloon and kissed it. And it was, it was a joke and it was so funny. But then my wife later in the day, we're kind of hanging out and she goes, I hope you guys already aren't, 
you know, planning out his his training schedule, his who he's going to be getting batting lessons from, where we need to move because these schools are projected to be, you know, good feeder schools to the big high school program. Like, I really hope you're not already scouting out his future. And I was like, oh, shoot, we, we are. <laughs> so... You, you just have to, it's just something that I, I'm very fortunate that my wife was not into any sort of like competitive athletics growing up. She was actually a, a very successful um, like musician and was a recording artist at one point. And so she's very, very much so like artistic and that's her focus. And, and it just kind of creates a healthy balance. So for us moving forward, part of the thing, I guess part of the reason why I feel like I've been placed here is my my drive right now is I just want my son to be healthy. You know, I was never the the leanest kid growing up and it made a lot of things difficult. I mean, shoot, it made going to my friend's pool parties difficult. You know, I was the kid swimming in a t-shirt um, just because I was self-conscious. And so my thing is, I'm going to want my son to not live that life. And I think that if he's healthy, and he has a really big foundation of just general fitness, then when he's in high school, if he decides that he wants to go out for the baseball team, or he wants to run cross country, or he wants to get into rowing crew or rock climbing, cycling, whatever it may be, I just want him to have options. And I don't want him to feel like he's bottleneck. And if I'm being honest, you know, when I was a freshman in high school, I was like, you know, it would be super cool to be fast and go out and run the 800 or run a fast mile, like track seems so fun. And I loved to run and I had been losing weight, but I had never trained that way. And so I just didn't have the ability to do it. And then I found that anything that I went to go do and I didn't have immediate success or the potential for immediate success, it made me down on who I was as a person because my whole identity started to get rooted in all of my success in baseball. And then some of the success that I started to have in football and and that was just a really dangerous place to be at 14, 15 and you know 16 and and you know now that I'm 30 I've been able to grow out of that but you know taking it a step further we're living in a place where anxiety and depression are highest than they've ever been in our society. And I don't know if it's because people are just more aware and they're taking their kids to counselors more and they're studying these things more, or, you know, it's kind of like, is, is, is there just a, a bigger light being shined on this? Um, or is it really that this is rising? But either way, the number of kids that are in schools saying they're depressed and saying they're anxious all the time, it's scary high. And my wife teaches third grade. And I, I can tell you that there is a a, on a daily basis, the past three years, there have been at least 10 kids on a daily basis that will tell her that they're unhappy with something about who they are. And and that's kind of my mission with the kids that I train right now. And that's going to be my mission with our son and any future kids we might have is I just want him to be happy with who he is and then know that if he doesn't have the ability to, to do 10 pull-ups and that's a goal of his, it's not something that we quit. It's something that let's have a plan in place. Let's work hard at it and let's get 10 pull-ups. And that would be with kind of any skill. If you want to be able to give a good speech, let's find a coach, let's get a speech coach, and let's work on those things. But we're not going to be the people that just all of a sudden, well, I suck. And that's that. Yeah, I think there's a real danger when we have, well, I know there's a real danger when we have a path kind of picked out, you know, you're rooted in football and baseball. And I actually think it's a real blessing that your wife is artistic. You know, um, like my son, my oldest son, he wanted to play sports because that's what you did for in middle school as kind of your identity. You either played sports and you're part of that crowd or you didn't. 
<laughs> and um, once he hit high school, he found a place in band and he's actually extremely talented in band and he's doing leadership. It's like so incredibly intense in Texas, you know, practices are, they do daily triples in the summer. It's incredible. And I'm so proud. Yeah, it's next level. Yeah, it is next level. But the thing is, is like, you know, had I had an expectation of some super athlete, I could have lived the last few years extremely disappointed. And that's a setup for everyone. It's a setup for frustration, mm -hmm. set up for a poor uh, relationship. And the other thing is exposure. If we're so dead set on our kid being a football player or a baseball player, because that's what we did, what are we missing out on? Like I often think, and you know, <laughs> this kind of sounds really crazy, but when I get on rollerblades, I feel more at home than when I'm walking. And so, or, or ice skates, I'm like, what would I have been like if I played ice hockey? Like I probably would have been pretty good and my stature is probably just right for it. But I, I didn't have that opportunity. It's not to blame my parents, but you know, if we guide someone in the wrong direction, what are we stripping from them? So we're almost stripping possibilities by trying to gain a certain goal in one particular area. So do you coach kids now that you feel like that's, they're kind of being guided in an area and um, do you see any, any of the effects of that? Have you, have you experienced any of that? Yeah. I mean, all, all the time, you know, at, at one point when I came home from, from college, um, I actually coached my brother's travel team for baseball and, and it, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge big time team. Um, I think later they grew to be a little bit bigger, but it started off as just a little, uh, like a city league team and they traveled to some of these bigger tournaments and played and did some things. Um, but a dad had been removed and they needed a spot I filled in. And, and it was a, it was honestly a very terrible experience because it was dads living through their kids and, one of those kids ended up playing, uh, well, two, because my brother ended up playing um, in high school. But one of those kids finished playing in high school, and he ended up playing um, at a Division One university. I forget where he's playing now. But his, his mom came to every game, never said a word, clapped when he did things, and then kind of moved on. But everybody else, the, like there's one kid that he probably could have been a big-time baseball player, played at a big-time school, like like a rice or a Texas or something. And his, his dad was on him like white on rice day in, day out, pitch in, you know, every ground ball, just everything got critiqued. And that kid broke his bat and threw it at me in the middle of a game. And I'm just, and I'm like, dude, you are 14. This is too much. And, and then like now being in the space that I'm in here, um, I have a couple of volleyball athletes that we train and there's a, there's, you know, a girl that I have a really great relationship with that she's kind of doing the, the burnout by just trying to do too much. And this past year, she actually had to dial it back a ton. She had to change her club. She had to dial back some of her coaching on, on the outside of her club. She dialed back training with me as often as she was. And it just so she could get a mental break and fall back in love with the sport and reassess if this is something that she really wants to do. And then um, I trained two baseball players. One, I've trained him his entire high school career. And it might be like one of my favorite stories ever, favorite athletes ever. And I could talk about him for hours. But in a nutshell, he was told he's not, he's not good enough to play repeatedly. And everyone thought that he only wanted to play because his older brother um, pitched in college played at the same high school, had a very good career. And everyone was like, oh, he just wants to follow in his brother's footsteps. It's not because it's, it's what he wants. He came to me as a freshman and he said, I am going to be a starter at this high school. 
and I am going to play in college because I have dreamed about that since I remember that I could have dreams. He's like, there is not one night that, that goes, that I go to sleep not thinking about baseball and not waking up thinking about baseball. This is what I want more than anything. And this kid runs to the gym. He doesn't take his bike. He jogs up here. He will, he will literally, he's, he's actually waiting for us to end our call so he can do his training session today. And he's going to be here from four o'clock until I close. And that is, I have to tell him to rest. And he just absolutely loves it. I, I literally program rest days for him. And he went from his high school coach, not wanting him to be on the team, kicking him off the team, trying to kick him off the team. He kept showing up for practice. Um, his high school coach, coach told him, you're not going to be good enough to be a pitcher. And then his junior year, he was pitcher of the year for the district. He was first team all district. He took them to their first big time playoff berth. They beat their rival in district twice. Um, a kid going to play at like some big university, he's like, he, he faced off with this kid and won. I mean, just all these amazing things. And he signed a scholarship offer with McMurray University and he's their number one recruit. Like, they're like, what number do you want? Where do you, what dorm do you want? Like, it, I mean, it, they rolled out the red carpet for this kid and he's just like, you know, it's the greatest story. It's, I mean, it, it really is just this like underdog story. And his dad is very involved but his dad is not driving and not cracking the whip. You know, he wanted performance training. The kid wants, you know, pitching lessons. And his dad said, okay, well, let's find best and let's go to the best. And, and that's it. And his dad says, well, if they say do something, you probably should do it. You know, but, but it's, it's never a situation where his dad says you have to, you know, because his dad doesn't bring him up here to work out. He's like, if it's something you want to do, you got to find a way. And, it, and it's instilled this, this work ethic in him. And it's instilled this habit of if I want to achieve X, Y, and Z, I have to make it happen. I can't expect to throw my dream out in the universe and then just let that be who I want to be. And it is what it is. But then on the flip side, I have an athlete with the same exact story that was told the same exact thing his early years of high school. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'm done. And, and, and he has more potential than the kid that I was just talking about. Like he really could go and really do some really crazy good things, but his entire identity is wrapped up in success that the first time he didn't have it, everything about him crumbled. And it's, it just, it's, it's heartbreaking to see those things. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of weight as a as a coach watching these things unfold. And I, I would imagine a lot of that has to do with how each of those boys' parents guided them through decision-making, what to work on, when to work on, how to follow a dream, or maybe sometimes things are just expectations um, or maybe even no support. I just think that there's so much power in the things we say and do as parents. And a lot of times it seems like parents that want it so bad are actually doing more harm than good in their actual overall success. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's one of the biggest contributing factors. And we try to address that when we work with athletes. I mean, one of the things like, you know, Robert, his gym has been in, been in business for well over a decade and there aren't a lot of gyms like ours that have been operating at the level, you know, that we have for that long. And the big reason is, we don't just work with anybody that wants to work with us. And that might sound stuck up, but it really isn't. There's an expectation of you've got to be able to work hard and you can teach someone how to work hard, but you got to be coachable. And when we work with young athletes, we have meetings um, with our coaches about this is how you need to approach this parent. 
You need to set boundaries. You need to set expectations. You need to let the parents know that things might be happening at home, but that's at home. And when we're here at the gym, there's an expectation about how we're going to coach them, about how we're all going to communicate. You're going to be on the same page as us. And, and that's just how we roll. And you sort of start to see trends on how parents respond to adversity in their own life. And then you see how the kids respond to adversity in the gym. Mm -hmm. And, and as a parent, I mean, I know I'm young, young in the, in the parenthood game, but being able to be around kids for almost a decade, actually a decade plus, and just work with them in different capacities. I've been able to see that kids absolutely model the behavior they see from their parent. And I know that's like something that everyone says, but until you've seen it day in and day out, and you've seen every different type of family situation that you can see, and you get, you have to get to know mom and dad, and you have to get to know the kid and spend real time around them. You will definitely see that they respond to adversity the exact same way. So, so you've got to check yourself as a dad and you've got to say, okay, well, one, how am I talking about challenges? Am I, am I just, am I seeing a roadblock in my life and do I give up or do I at least like give the impression that I give up or, or do I go after it? And, and something that's always stuck with me is I didn't hear this from my dad. Actually, I heard this from a teacher that taught with my dad at Garland high school his first couple of years. And she told me this story about how, you know, high school football coaches, you may or may not know, but in Texas, people like during season, they are working, not an exaggeration, 80 hours a week. And the expectation is that they're, they are there from 5 a.m. to almost, you know, 10 p.m. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. On Fridays, they, they don't leave till like two in the morning. And when I was a newborn, you know, I'm born in December, football season starts in August. When I was a newborn, my parents didn't have a lot of money and they didn't have money for diapers. And my dad didn't know what he was going to do. And my grandparents had given my parents some diapers and I only have like a couple more left. And my dad didn't have time to go to the store. He wasn't going to get paid for another few days. He, he was like, I got to figure something out. And then it became diapers and I needed formula. And my mom is really stressed out. My dad's stressed out. My dad gets home at 10 o'clock and he's like, I don't know what, what I'm going to do. He wakes up early Sunday morning and he didn't go ask people. He just went and mowed yards and he mowed yards all day. The, the legend of the story is that he literally like mowed and then borrowed gas from my grandpa. Mowed, borrowed gas, mowed, borrowed gas, mowed, borrowed gas. And then people would come out and they'd give him five bucks. I'm like, why are you doing this? He's like, I got to make some money. My baby needs diapers. And he'd just be real with them. And so I hear this story in high school and I go talk to my dad. I'm like, is that true? And he said, as a man, you're going to be faced with adversity day in and day out. And then as a father, you're going to be faced with adversity in a way that you've never experienced. And you can complain about it and you can moan about it and you can tell people how hard it is. Or you can say every minute that I waste complaining just makes the problem worse. I need to find a solution and get to work. And that honestly became how my brother is more this than I am. My brother responds to those types of situations way better than I do. I'm a very reactionary person. My brother is like, it is what it is. I got to get to work. But you look at that and my dad and you see kind of how, how we react to some things and you definitely see how my brother reacts to things. And it's incredible that I just, you know, how different would my brother's story be or my story be if my dad was the kind of guy that that would happen. And he just said, well, I guess I'll wait until Tuesday and get paid and my kid will poop in a t-shirt, you know? And I know I just went on a huge tangent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm loving it. Don't, don't apologize one bit. There's a good message in that. And one thing that's really been on my mind a lot the last few days is our modeling. Um, 
you know, someone asked to pose a question in the, in the Facebook group about, you know, do you swear in front of your children? And it's just really had me thinking a lot because I don't. And if I, if I do, I go back and talk to them and, and I'm real with them. And it's just made me think a lot about modeling and the things that we do matters. The way that we act and respond to situations matter, not because we're trying, I mean, yes, we're trying to improve our own lives, but because there's people watching and learning directly from that. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, dad set this, this, this thing in place and he didn't know that that was going to come back and be a story told. Um, but true character is, and true leadership is doing those types of things when no one's watching, you know, inspecting nothing in return. Um, but, but that's an awesome story. So let's wrap this up with, um, I want to ask you, you are a young father. So, you know, some people might discount your advice, but I, I think that would be unwise because you, you've seen into, you peered into many, many, many kids' lives and you've lived through the eyes and the life of a high school football or, or athletic coach. What is like your biggest piece of advice for a parent who has a, um, a child who has some skill? So I'll just tell you my plan because I, I think that, I think that hearing how I would attack it, it would probably add more validation to anything. Um, so I do want my kid to be a good athlete and, and I'll just put it out there. Um, my wife and I have this conversation all the time and I don't think it's projecting his future. I just think that he is going to grow up going to his grandpa's games every Friday night and watching my dad coach. And, and he's going to get bitten by the same bug that I got bitten with that my brother got bitten with. And it's going to be a desire. And the frustration is going to start to happen when he realizes that, you know, he doesn't have the tools he needs. So my plan is going to be to just develop a positive relationship with exercise and to model the behavior that I want to see in him. So I train five days a week and it's not always CrossFit and it's not always you know, high intensity, but I'm doing something active five days a week. My wife also models that behavior. And so as a family, that'll be the, the first point is if, if you're looking at a potential athlete and you're looking at that being something that you're trying to cultivate, how are you cultivating that in your own life? A lot of people don't, don't fuel their kids the right way. And it's very easy to drive through Chick-fil-A. It, and that's just, that, that's all it is. Very easy to drive through Chick-fil-A. Very easy to microwave nuggets. It's very easy to do those things. And kids don't show fat the same way that adults do, but kids get very like, I'll just call it what like, you know, the term is like skinny fat. But what you're doing is you're not allowing your kids to get the nutrients they need to develop muscle the way they need to develop. And then, so you have to address that point too. So you have to be a leader in your home, both with your fitness, you have to be a leader in your, in your home with your nutrition. So then let's talk about if you, if you get to the point that you have a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old that has potential at whatever the sport is, you have to think about the time that they are, that they are committing to everything else in their life before sport, because they're going to be tired when they get to the sport. So baseball is a good example. Um, volleyball is a good example. Um, so you can say, you know, baseball, if you're playing select baseball, you're looking at 90 games in the spring and the summer. And then if you qualify for U-Triple-A here in Texas or whatever, you qualify for U-Triple-A regionals and those things, you might play 116 to 120 games, maybe even more in a year. That is a lot. Select baseball teams here, they practice, they used to practice three days a week. I know that a guy here that has run a club for a long time, that they're practicing twice a week. 
So you keep that thing in mind. They're going to need a skills coach and they're going to need a performance coach. Most people go to the team that the coach played at Texas, the coach played at whatever, insert school here, minor league player, whatever. They're going to go to that guy and the guy, that guy is going to say, this is what I did to prepare for my first season with the Oakland Athletics. Dude, you were 22, 200 pounds, 6'2", <laughs> had all this time, you know. So so you have to just be very wary of those things. Yeah. Um, so the simple, like the simplest approach is just look at how much time they're committing to the sport already. And if, and if you are looking at collegiate level athletics, whether that's division one to division three, you absolutely need at least two days of performance training a week. And your performance trainer does not need to be giving you anything that doesn't have anything to do with your sport. I see a lot of volleyball girls that are posting, I did my two mile run today. When in the world during your match, do you do anything that has to do with two miles? And so that, that's, those are the questions that a lot of parents don't think to ask. So shop around your club, shop around your performance coaches, and then, and then make sure that your performance coach has recovery in mind. Make sure that they, they know that they need to take care of movement quality and all those things. And if you don't know what good movement quality looks like, um, they say it at the CrossFit level one certification. And, and I, I thought this was amazing. Um, it's like, um, is your sister, like you're going to church and you look at your sister's dress and if, and if you question whether or not she looks like that should be what she wears at church, then it's not right for church. And so if you're looking at your, if you're looking at the videos this performance coach is putting online and you're like, I don't know if that's a good squat, then it's not a good squat and move on. Like you will be able to tell what good movement quality looks like. So I know that was a really long answer and you wanted it really simple, really quick bullet point. Yeah. You've got to model what you want. You've got to model what you want at home. So if you want them to be an athlete, you don't have to be a high level athlete, but you cannot be a bump on a log and tell your kid to go train. It never works. I've never seen it work. You know, I've been doing this for, I know I'm only 30, but I've been doing it for long enough. I've never seen that be a successful situation. Um, the second part is you cannot out train a poor diet. So even though your kid loves Chick-fil-A, make sure they're eating the right things. You know, make sure they're eating nutrient dense food. They're going to, you know, prolong their health and then support what they're doing to train. If I, if, if your kid ever shows up to practice with Chick-fil-A and a, and a chocolate milk, we got a long, long conversation to have because that, that is, that, that like infuriates me. And I'm sorry if anybody listening does that. I'm, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, the truth is needs and to be. Pay, yeah. And then the last two things are just pay attention to how, how many days a week they're committing to that sport. And if anybody is asking you to commit every single day of the week to that sport, you got to move on. I don't think every kid needs club since they're five. But if you are going to play in college, when you're in high school, you have to play club at some point. Do not play club and high school unless you're at a very competitive high school that has a good relationship with your club. And then the last and probably most important part is from the time that you're in middle school to the time that you are still in college and a pro, you need a performance coach that knows what they're talking about. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm so long-winded. Oh, I think it's really <laughs> good. And I think parents, this is a, a great message for parents who have kids who are super athletic. They need to hear that. And for kids who or parents who want their kids to be super athletic, but are not, there was just so much wrapped up in there as well. I appreciate your time very much, Justin. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this podcast with Justin, like I did, um, make sure that you subscribe and give us a review. And if you are listening to this and you are a man, you need to hop on to the Facebook, which you claim to hate and join the Brotherhood of Fatherhood group. If you are not a man and you want to influence the man in your life with some great content, follow us on the Brotherhood of Facebook 
Facebook page, and then you can dish that information to the man you love. So um, thanks again, Justin. I'm really happy we had you and we appreciate all you're doing with the youth. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Scott. This is awesome. All right.